Hi, I'm Jim Juno, and this is The Juno Files. If you like what you're hearing, please click on the subscribe button. Beverly Garland's career spanned over 60 years in both film and television. She was even known as the First Lady of Television, and was perhaps best known as the love interest to Fred McMurray's widower father in My Three Sons. Garland's career, though, was much more than that. Deborah Del Vecchio and her husband Carl wrote the book about Garland's life, entitled Beverly Garland, Her Life and Career, and they sat down to talk with me about the star and their book. You know, how did you and Carl get interested, or was it Carl first who got interested in Beverly Garland? Yeah, actually, it was, it was me. I, I first, well, went back in, in the early 60s, there was a television show called Stump the Stars. Um, it was a charade show with, you know, celebrities, you know, battling each other, and there were guest stars. And I used to watch that, and then I started to realize I'm really watching this because of this vivacious, sexy, funny blonde, Beverly <laughs> Garland. So that was the first time I really, you know, discovered or, or, or knew of Beverly. And um, then I just started noticing that she was all over the television set, everything <laughs> from uh, Gunsmoke to uh, Dr. Kildare, and her movies were playing on, uh, on TV. And I just became a fan. And uh, from that point on, I just... Uh, would watch anything and everything with Beverly. Yeah, but you went, you went to, you met her. Yeah, uh, a few years later, um, we were going out to California, and my cousin had written from out there, and I just said, as a joke, find Beverly Garland's home address so I can go meet her. <laughs> and sure enough, she found the address and she sent it to me, so uh, when we were out there, I handed my parents, and we went out to Beverly's home, and I knocked on the door, and that was the beginning. Uh, uh, her husband answered the door, and she was right there, and she said, come on in, and I disappeared in the house for like a half hour, and uh, it was amazing. She was just incredible and, and so warm and generous, and um, we just started corresponding, and she let me know what she was doing, what the family was doing, what movies, what TV work, and um, eventually I started a fan club for her, and um, it just continued right up until, uh, you know, into the year 2000, you know, when we... Uh, yeah. Well, I met, I knew her for approximately uh, 29 years. I, after the year after Carl and I got married, I went out there and I met her for the first time uh, when I was in California. And um, uh, so I was, you know, I knew her for all those years. And that shows you. Yeah. Not yeah. as many as Carl, of course, but you know, I knew her, and of course, we were both knew her from, you know, her many uh, television and and uh, and um, films. I remember her as early as early back as, as uh, decoy. See, that, that that shows you how times have changed because I doubt that you would be able to to just go up to a star's house nowadays. Oh, definitely, and that was on New Year's Day. <laughs> That's the funny thing. It was January first, nineteen sixty. I can think of the worst day to go and meet somebody that you actually are are so you know involved with and 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 they're an idol. <laughs> I mean, she could have been hung over from the night before, but um, she was cooking and she was lowering all the pots on the stove and sit down and, you know, we were talking and she was signing autographs and it was incredible. It was yeah. incredible. But <laughs> she was like that, yeah. And it, she treated us like family, you know, after, you know, after we got to know her and we made a few trips out and, you know, we had spent time with her. She she treated us just like we were, you know, part of the family. We were her, her other two kids that lived out of the east, you know, on the east coast. Oh my so. gosh! So, yeah, because that's 
that was my next question about when you approach when you first approached her you know like a star would and i'm sorry but nowadays a star would say you're not going to get past security you know you know nowadays there's too much security but um when you approached her saying you know i'd like to write a book about your life what was her reaction well i have to say um I thought maybe she wouldn't be, she wouldn't go for it, but I just—it was just the opposite. She was, uh, she, <laughs> she was very supportive. The whole family, the whole family is very supportive, and they cooperated right from the start. Um, I made several trips out there, and, um, from 1995 to 2004, and uh, to interview her. Okay, because we had a lot of information that we had gathered over the years. Plus, Carl had the the journal, the club journal, when he would have a question and answer, you know section. So I was out there to fill in the gaps and maybe get, you know, really get some personal background biography type information as opposed to, you know, her film work. But of course, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to be able to find out from the performer um, what they, how they got a role or what was going on and, you know, different things that were happening that you would normally not know about. And um, she always made time for me. And she she was very outspoken, very candid. She didn't hold anything back. No, definitely not. She did, and she heard we heard stories that we never heard before that you know, your jaw dropped to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that but, was uh, yeah. That was one of the things I noticed that you you know you, you and Carl mentioned her sense of humor that she had a she had a wicked sense of humor. And oh, yeah. I was just wondering what your favorite story of hers were or was. Oh, I got a million of them. I mean, there. I can't think of one that isn't funny, but, you know, there's certain ones that do come out, you know, come, come, come to mind right away. Of course, the story that she tells about the day she was born, and, of course, she's embellishing it a little bit, but it's, it's, it's hilarious. Every time I, I read it, I laugh. Um, another one was um, when, she went to, uh, <laughs> when she went to New York City back in 1947. She was going to make it big on Broadway. Right. It didn't and, go so uh, well, did it? She was living with her aunt in Connecticut for, the, for about two or three months. That's really funny. Um, oh, her first Western, uh, first starring role in a Western was for the, um, was with the Allied artist, The Fighting Lawman, uh, opposite Wayne Morris. And um, the, the, the first scene she filmed of that film, and it was total disaster, but it, it's funny. I mean, when you think about it, in retrospect, it's funny. <laughs> um, also, um, how she got the role that that won her an Emmy nomination, and that was uh, uh, Medic, the TV series Medic. Yeah. She filmed the pilot, and the name of the episode was White Is the Color. And how she got the part, and what was what happened during the filming of it, is is really funny, and it just shows how fate can work in your favor. Something you think you would not imagine happening happen and it was with this particular show because she wasn't she wasn't even going uh, going to go to an interview for that particular show she was going to be interviewed for another show and it didn't work out and her agent called and said listen just drop everything i got another interview for you and here you know go and she thought well i'm wearing this black dress which i thought was really sexy but obviously the the uh, the producers that were interviewing me didn't think I would look good at it, so maybe I should change. He said, no, 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 you don't have time for that. Just go. 
<laughs> so she went and she put a coat on and she was walking into the interviewer and the, and the interviewer said, take your coat off. He says, um, he says, then walk back and forth. So she walked back and forth. She figured, well, that's it. I'm not going to get this part. I didn't get the other one because I wore this dress. And he said, you look like you're uh, dying of leukemia. You've got the role. And that, that was the role that got her an Emmy nomination. Wow. Now, a lot of people, and a lot of people nowadays who may be too, maybe too young, but those, so I would say people of a certain age, she broke new ground on TV in, in oh, yeah. the show Decoy. Oh, yeah. Because it, Decoy, for those listeners who are unfamiliar with it, it was the first time a female police officer had her own show. Mm-hmm. Or very first, I may be the very first female police officer ever portrayed on TV. But this was the first time a show revolved around her. Pepper Anderson, policewoman, sorry, it, this was the first one, Decoy. And, That's right. Yeah. And distinction, which I, it, it just floored me when I, when I found out about it. It's the fact that this show was the first series to be filmed entirely on the streets of New York City. Yeah. And you would think a city like New York, there must be a hundred TV shows based in New York and about New York and around New York. Nope, this is the first. See, so and, it's kind of hard to believe, but it, it's true. <laughs> And, there, so, and and at the end, it was like it was like the very first episode. At the end, she gives a little soliloquy about how you know, they may be they may be uh, secretaries or they may be they may be uh, other work lines of work. So you never know where there is a policewoman actually on the job at. Sure, that was the yeah. thing about the show. Yeah. Usually, at the end of each episode, they, she sort of broke the fourth wall and talked directly to the audience, which was you know a bit novel at the time. Um, but it, it made an impact. It was a, a very gritty, very dark, almost like a film noir series. Yeah. And yes. uh, it was incredible, incredible show. Now, did she... It, go ahead. It, it didn't sell it to a network. They sold it in syndication. And she always thought that that was, that was a negative. But I told her, I said, you know, this, this show is in syndication across the country, and a lot of viewers saw her, and she, I think this, series was the one that stuck in the minds of most of most American viewers, more so than anything she did prior to that. No, so I, go ahead. It was very, mm-hmm. it was very, it was very uh, influential as far as her career was concerned. It really made an impact for a lot of people. And then you, for years later, people would come up to her and say, you know, I remember you from Decoy. Decoy, Decoy, Decoy. So I remember her from Decoy. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of, a lot of listeners... Younger listeners may remember her as the love interest. First off, uh, love interest for the well, the little-known show, The Bing Crosby Show. He, she played his wife, and it sounded right. like she had fun doing that. Uh, but the other, the other one is that she was the uh, love interest of Fred McMurray on right. My Three Sons. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, Carl, you about My Three Sons. She. <laughs> It was funny, her agent, um, she had read somewhere that um, they were casting for his wife because they figured, well, we've got, you know, we've got, we're this far along in the series and now Fred McMurray needs a wife. So, <laughs> so they were lining up all these people and her agent, she called her agent and said, why aren't I, you know, in being interviewed for this, for this, uh, for this role? And he said, well, no, no, this wouldn't, this wouldn't be good for you. And she said, what are you talking about? I, you know, and she went up, she got there. She interviewed with Frank McMurray. She talked about baseball, I think, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, you know, 
sort of, um, talking back and forth that he was really interested. And next thing you know, she's got the part. But her agent wasn't going to even send her to to do the interview because wow. he felt she wasn't, you know, wasn't a part for her. Well, at that point, she's been known for playing so many gun malls and, and yeah. bad girls and uh, you know, drug addicts. And, and, <laughs> yeah, out of character, but you know, she said I'm an actress. She said I'm an actress. I play, I play all kinds of roles. I play, you know, comedy. I play because she had played uh, Bing Crosby's wife. So I mean, there was, you know. There was something that they could fall back on and say, well, here, I, you know, it's possible I could do this, you know. <laughs> I, I, thought so in, I saw an interview with her on YouTube, Beverly Garland, and I, I don't know who the interviewee was, but they were asking her about the Bing Crosby show, and she was, apparently she was told that you have to act like you're in love with him. And she took that to mean, I have to be all over him, like white on rice. And she she enjoyed that role. It sounded like. Well, they, they felt that that Fred McMurray, uh, I'm sorry, that Big Crosby would wouldn't be as demonstrative yeah. as he should be. So that's why they wanted her more or less to show how in love this this couple really was. So she was hanging all over him and, <laughs> and, and, and giving him kisses and everything. So it was uh, yeah, it was definitely a physical role for her too. <laughs> <laughs> what was she it? Had a, had to really work harder. <laughs> <laughs> what was her favorite role of all of her roles? Oh dear. Um, well, she always, whenever she would be asked that question, there was always a few that came to mind right away. Um, one of them was her insight, two-parter, which was uh, a thief called Dismas. Um, she had um, insight was a program um, that was um, what was this? Uh, it was run by the Paulus the Paulus brothers. Pro, uh, po- yeah, Paulist uh, production. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Catholic religious show. In uh, that role, it was like a Mary Magdalene, modern-day Mary Magdalene role, mm-hmm. which uh, she was incredible. It was a two-part episode. It was it was a beautiful performance. And but the funny thing about it is she, really, she was going to turn it down because yeah. they offered it to her like two days before, and she felt, I you know, can't learn an hour's worth of, of dialogue and carry the whole show. But um, she did it, and it was... An incredible, incredible performance. Well, another thing, too, the, the production company, the Paulist Brothers, they, they worked on a shoestring budget, okay? And for the most part, they wanted it to, to appear as if it was a live play, you know, like a live broadcast play. And they were really hesitant to, you know, cut and uh, redo, you know, retake scenes. So that was the pressure that she was under. But... And that's why she initially turned it down, but then she figured, well, you know, you did, we did this for nothing. She said they do it for the hell of it because, you know, it was, you know, it, it was something to do on a Saturday, you know, afternoon or whatever. And, uh, but she, she, she really um, surprised herself, I think, because she pulled it off beautifully. She didn't flub a line. No, no, great, great, yeah, performance. great performance. Then another thing was um, Dr. Kildare. She did the pilot episode for Dr. Kildare. 24 hours. She always liked that because um, she said um, <coughs> she, this was the start, or you know, was beginning. She was beginning to be known as a as a uh, a, a woman that could uh, an actress that could play a role in a pilot and get attention. And she sold a lot of series, and this was one of them she sold. Right. And um, it was a funny. There was a funny uh, review. A reviewer. Um, when they were mentioning um, the fact that she was, oh, I'm trying to see where he, where the uh, the actual quote is. 
That's where I left that thing. Oh. Oh. Well, talk so much yourself here. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said, um, oh, John, I thought I put a, a thing here. Um, I wanted to make the, get the exact quote. He said, uh, the Beverly was, oh, here it is. Um, TV Weekly. He said, um, she had, I think she had guested and sold about up until that point, okay, with, with Dr. Kildare. Um, she had sold about 11 pilots, that, you know, series, based mm -hmm. on her performance. And she became like something like an insurance policy for producers <laughs> because, uh, you know, if we got Beverly for this, we can sell the series. And, um, and it was, <laughs> this was one of them. And when the, when they found out about it, this TV Weekly reporter said that Beverly has has participated in almost as many launchings as Helen of Troy. <laughs> so it was so funny because there she was, you know, she was she would make these pilots and they would sell. Uh, Rod Cameron, he had the several series, and he insisted on having Beverly in the pilot episodes because he he knew that they were going to sell, and sure enough, they all did. So I mean, there was an example of you know just how. She was in a, you know, she was, uh, she knew her lines. She came on the set. She knew, she knew her lines. She knew her marks. She was no nonsense. And she always said her first take was the best take. Yeah. Wow. So actors can make that, you know, can say that honestly. But she did. Um, then another one that she was very fond of was Marcus Welby, MD, The Fragile Possession. Oh, okay. Um, it was about a a woman whose daughter is pregnant, she's, and she's a very domineering mother, and she wants the, the daughter to have an abortion because she's young, and she, you know, she can't be having a baby at the, you know, being so young. And that it was at the time it was that uh, Roe versus Wade, yeah. that kind of thing come up. So this was very timely, and it was very controversial. And um, in fact, I think this episode garnered more viewership, a higher viewership than the initial. Um, I think the premiere screening of uh, Goldfinger. Yeah, it was the number one show that week. It was the number one yeah. show. Wow. Yeah. And then there was one other one. It was a Mesa TV movie back in 1974, Unwed Father, with Joseph Bottoms and Kay Lentz. And uh, she played a, <laughs> she played a, um, a beer drinking, you know, she said she, she, she said she was a slob. She was a <laughs> <laughs> Every minute of it, she said, because she loved those kind of roles. She said, I, I'm the kind of woman you, you send out in the middle of nowhere, and you, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pioneer woman, and I'm out in the, in the desert, or I'm in the jungle. <laughs> and she just loved that, you know, in the muck and the mire. She said, yeah, the more the better. She loved that, because she could really get into her role, you know, and that, was how, that helped her along. But those were the ones that, that really stuck out in her mind. Of course, I could have named a hundred others, but, you know. Now, there was, there was a story in her personal life which apparently made some headlines and I'm taking it, and of course you mentioned it in the book a little bit, and it's on her Wikipedia page about she was acting with John Crawford, and Beverly and Crawford were both married to other people at the time. And when they would go to their acting rehearsals, they, they would leave their better halves alone, and it turns out that that did not turn out to be so such a great move, right? John Crawford, not Broderick John. Crawford, yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, Richard Garland, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, <laughs> they had an affair, yeah. His wife, what was her name? Oh, I don't remember her first name, but yeah. uh, 
Yeah, Beverly. Uh, Leon. John Crawford were okay going to play together, and uh, you know they usually meet back at John Crawford's house and talk about what happened and whatever. And Beverly came into the kitchen and she sort of caught her husband Richard Garland and John Crawford's wife either embracing or mm. about to or coming apart from an embrace, and that sort of uh, led to the demise of that marriage. Yeah, she felt she couldn't trust him anymore, and uh, it was uh, you know it was a shame. It was a shame because she really. She really loved him, but it was just the fact that she couldn't trust him. And um, well, he was an alcoholic too. Yeah, he started drinking yeah. a lot too after yeah. uh, after the divorce, and it was uh, just not a bad. It was a bad scene, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. How did she get the name First Lady of Television? First Lady of Television was because of the first, because of the pilots that she saw. Oh, okay. Now, um, that was the uh, the critic for um, the L.A. Times. Um, he said uh, Walter Ames. He said that she, she was. He called her television first lady because she was in all these episodes that sold or pilots that sold series, and they were usually the first episode would be the pilot episode. <laughs> so she got that moniker first television. Oh. Yeah. Well, she was all over the the television set anyway, with you know guest starring on virtually anything and everything. And there were occasions where she was opposite herself, you know, like on two different networks. She was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, you know, and back then you couldn't, you know, you couldn't DVR it. <laughs> you either had to watch the one or the other, and then hope to get the other one on a rerun. So, <laughs> so tell me, um, one item that stood out in the book to me, it, it seemed to have come up a couple of times. She felt she hurt her career more than once by turning down roles, as for example, on the movie The Seduction. But that's not really accurate, is it? She had a highly successful career. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it goes back to the the old, you know, you know, what if, you know, should I have done that? Should I have done it? Uh, but she never. Whenever she would turn down something for whatever reason, it's it's not as if she didn't work for months or years afterwards. I mean, she was constantly working. So uh, any of those situations really didn't hurt her career. Uh, but I think, you know, it's like with any actor, you always wonder, well, if I had done this or if I had done that, would things have been a little different? For instance, and it's in the book, um, she was offered the role of uh, Anne Bancroft that Anne Bancroft played in The Miracle Worker on Broadway. Wow. But she had just met and was about to marry her husband, Fillmore, and he said, well, maybe I'll be here if you get back, when you get back from New York, and maybe I won't. So she had to make the distinction in her career, do I do I put my family first or do I put my career first? And what I admire her for is family always came first with her and the career had to fit in. But if she had done the miracle worker, would it have made a big difference in her career? Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, the actress that took over when Beverly said no was Suzanne Plachette. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her career did advance after that. But the funny thing is, years later, Beverly and Suzanne were talking about it, and Suzanne said it was the worst experience of her life because Patty Duke made her life a living hell when she and, took over that role. And the director kept stopping her and saying, well, wait a minute, Ann Bancroft didn't play it this way. Ann Bancroft played it this way. Hmm. And she said, well, I'm not Ann Bancroft. I'm Suzanne Pochette. I have my own way of doing it. And that was, you know, that probably would, would affect you you know, tremendously as an actor, because you're saying, well, you know, if you wanted Anne Bancroft, why did you let her go? You know, so that was that was 
reason Beverly said, well, gee, you know, I probably would have played it totally different than Ann Bancroft, and I probably would have butted heads right then and there. Mm. So, mm. although she always got along with Patty Duke, so even when she ran against her, it's for Green <laughs> Actor Guild president. <laughs> yeah, so she I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. She was active with another organization, CART, C-A-R-T. Right. Yeah. That was um, that was the uh, <coughs> California Artists Radio Theater. It was under the direction of Peggy Weber. Um, Peggy Weber was, she was an actress, but she was more known for radio. Uh, a lot of radio. radio a lot of radio. And um, the troupe was performing out of um, a hotel, a Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. And they would perform in front of a live audience. They would do radio plays, okay? And then um, these plays were then uh, taped, and then they were broadcast over, across the country on NPR stations. So she was doing that for a while, and Beverly, I think, had gone and done one particular uh, one, one uh, play. And it was at that time that Peggy said, well, you know, the hotel has been sold, and they're going to demolish it. And Beverly said, well, um, I have a theater at the hotel. She said, why don't you, you know, start broadcasting out of there? So that's what happened. And um, she, um, she, she gave her uh, the Beverly Garland Theater, which I think, how many, how many seats is it? 130 seats? Yeah, it's 200. Yeah, yeah. And um, they would, the actors would be on stage, and they would record the play. And um, <laughs> she was... Um, in fact, the first one we were out there for, yeah. the first performance we were out there for, Your Loving Son Nero, um, with um, Louis Nye uh, as Kathleen Freeman, uh, David Warner, uh, Aunt Joanne Worley, um, what was the, what's the name, the actor? The one she, the one she was at Roller Boogie. What's his name? Oh, Roger Perry. Roger Perry. So th we saw an actual taping of, his, of the show, but... Um, she would appear in several of them after that, and um, they stayed there from October 1997 until her death in 2008. Wow. Now, so you go ahead. There were a lot of radio plays that were broadcast right from there. Um, and she, it turned out that it would, would, you could read the list of the actors that, was, that were on these shows, and it was like a who's who of Hollywood. I mean, everybody, everybody from, from uh, Roddy McDowell, Michael York, uh, Rich Little, um, um, David Warner, as I mentioned, Carl Reiner, um, Ed Asner, William Shatner, they all did it. Wow. And there was uh, Samantha Redgar. Um, well, Beverly did a number of them. Yeah, she did Little she did Women, did, she did uh, uh, Ruggles of Red Gap. Uh, uh, Jane Eyre, yeah. Man with Bogart's Face. Yeah. Uh, Ruggles of Red Gap was the last one. That was the last one she did. Now, you mentioned her hotel. A lot of people may not realize that it was a Garland Hotel, but that is still open, isn't it? Out in, uh, out in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, that was... The film, Beverly, when Beverly married uh, Fillmore Crank, he was a, he was a, a builder, and they had uh, he, he had his eye on this property in North Hollywood, right off the Hollywood Freeway. It was seven acres, and it was owned by Gene Autry. And <laughs> Gene Autry was going to build on it, but then he changed his mind, and Fillmore, you know, found out about it. And he bought the property. What he wanted to do was put an apartment complex up there. But uh, when he went to the bank to get the, the funding, the, the uh, bank president said, no, no, no. He said, I think it's, uh, you, you know, you should talk to my, my what is it, brother-in-law. 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 <laughs> he said, talk to my brother-in-law, and uh, he'll tell you. Okay, so, okay. So he goes out there, he goes to meet his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law turns out to be Casey Stengel. Wow. 
Wow, that's really... Yeah, amazing, right? And Tracy Stengel said, no, 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 you don't want to put a apartment house here. Look at this location. He said, it's right off the Hollywood Freeway. It's in North Hollywood. He said, it's right down the road from Universal Studios. You want to build a hotel here. And Beverly said, and Fillmore said, oh, what? We don't know anything about hotel business. He said, well, he said, no, no, no. He said, you build it, then you hire a manager, and then you go to Europe, and you live on the, on the uh, you know... <laughs> And the profits. And Beverly thought, well, that's a great idea. I like that. So they bought the property. They put up the hotel. And um, she's, um, it was originally uh, Beverly Gore and Howard Johnson because they told her, you know, they told her that you need what they call a flag. In other words, one of these hotels, things like Holly, a Holiday Inn, Best Western, Howard Johnson's. And Howard Johnson's was very receptive because they were looking to move uh, their operations out west. So she got she got involved with Howard Johnson, and it's been in the family ever since then. So they opened up in 1972. It was a 155-room hotel, and since then they've expanded. They've added the you know these this, what they call a convention center, which is the theater and ballrooms and everything else that's going. And after her death, uh, her son Jimmy took over, and he's been running the hotel uh, beautifully. Yeah. He's done a, a fabulous job with it, redecorated a couple of times. And um, it's it's now still in the family, but he's the manager now. So and it's called the Garland. Wow! Incredible! Incredible! Well, Carl and Deborah, I thank you for doing this. I really do. And um, if are y'all working on any new books coming down the pike? Well, I'm working on something. I don't know how. You know, it might be my last hurrah. So. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's um yeah it's in the works. Let me say that, but I don't want to you know. I don't want to get too much into because I don't know how it's going to pan out. So okay, <laughs> fair enough. But I haven't given up yet. That's given okay. Up yet. Well, don't don't give up. It's, you know, because like I said, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So that's true. Well, the book is still available if anybody's interested in it. Yes, um, indeed. You, you can get it from the from the uh, publisher McFarland, McFarland and Company Inc. I never found out who the company was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, McFarland, I didn't know then the company. And it's available at any um, online store, you know, online, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, or any book and uh, you know, brick-and-mortar store. We just order it from McFarland. Exactly. And um, we also have the uh, Facebook page, Beverly Garland, Her Life and Career. And everybody's welcome to uh, check it out and, uh, and like us, and then, you know, you can follow along. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Again, I, I thank you for this, and I'm going to have this up tomorrow or tomorrow night okay and i'll send you a link as soon as i get it up there is that all right oh no that's fine okay. and just make sure that you edit it so that we sound good you sound great <laughs> i'm the one who has to work on my sounding <laughs> i tell you what what i tell you what it was really a lot of fun i really enjoyed it and um I, I wish we had more time because you know like i said beverly's story like we could go on for days oh, <laughs> well i try <laughs> It's fun, to... and I really appreciate that you're doing this for us. Oh, no problem. Beverly Garland, Her Life and Career, is published by McFarland Books and is available wherever books are sold. That's the Juno Files. I'm Jim Juno.